Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Ruby Rogues podcast. This week on our panel, we have Andrew Mason. Hello. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. I am at OzCon this week, and I'm doing this over some uh, conference Wi-Fi, so if I drop out, I apologize in advance. We have two special guests. We have David A. Black. Hello. And Joe Leo. Hi, everyone. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give you full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. You know, do you guys want to just introduce yourselves real quick? David, I think we might have had you on the show before, but I don't think we've had Joe on the show before. So, Sure, I'll, I'll introduce myself. David Black, I have been a programmer for longer than I want to say and a Ruby user for coming up to 19 years. So I go pretty far back and I've been writing books about Ruby and or Rails for about the last 14 or 15 years currently working at 2U in Brooklyn, New York. Cool. And I'm Joe Leo. I have, uh, I can say the number of years I've been programming. <laughs> I spent about 12 <laughs> years in pure software development in uh, New York City, and about five years ago, started Death Method Incorporated, which is a software development consultancy. Nice. Yeah, I've seen some stuff from Death Method, so that's cool. So yeah, just to get us started, I I mean, this book's been around, man, as long as I can remember. I haven't read the latest edition, but I remember reading it, uh, you know, <laughs> when I was getting into Ruby, uh, you know, or, or soon thereafter. What's the story of this book? I mean, where, where did it come out of? I, I can feel that. Um, the Well-Grounded Ruby, the first edition came out in 2009, and the sort of prehistory of it, so to speak, was a book called Ruby for Rails. Ruby for Rails, which came out, I believe, in 2006 by me, I should add, um, was essentially my response, if you want to call it that, to what I was observing in the Rails community, which, of course, you know, expanded the popularity of Ruby tremendously. But at the oh, same yeah. time, in those first couple of years of Rails, there was a lot of this kind of you know, I love Rails, but what's this Ruby thing? Do I really have to know anything? About, you know, so Ruby for Rails was kind of, I would describe it as kind of a friendly intervention in that discourse. <laughs> um, in other words, an attempt to say, okay, if, if you want to do Rails, that's great, but you need to know Ruby. And here's a book that sort of gives you a, a tailored, customized version of learning Ruby for Rails. Anyway, then, if I'm remembering correctly, Manning approached me about a second edition and I said, you know what I really want to do? I said, I think the book is... And the sort of growth and maturity of the culture has, has rendered a second edition of Ruby for Rails not necessary, perhaps. And I said, in any case, I really want to write a just Ruby book. 
And one thing led to another. And in 2009, the first edition of The Well-Grounded Rubyist came out. And it it has a lot of, it, or at least some overlap with Ruby for Rails, but there's no Rails in it. And there's a lot, even in the first edition, the Ruby stuff was was greatly expanded. It was not specifically for Rails developers, but just for people interested in Ruby. There was a second edition in 2014. And then, what was it, Joe, a year and a half or two years ago, I, I approached the publisher and said, you know, I think we should do a third edition, but I've been, you know, essentially writing this book or some version of it since 2005. I said, it needs some fresh, <laughs> some fresh blood. And I suggested bringing in Joe as a co-author and that led to the third edition. And here it is. How did it feel to have David bring your blood into the book? Uh, it was this great feeling because in the beginning, I didn't have to commit to anything. Um, (laughs) David kind of roped me in by saying, Oh, Hey, you know, I've been talking with Manning and you know, that maybe they want another book. And I thought of you and I was, you know, so flattered by that, that, uh, you know, that David would approach me about this. And uh, he said, you know, I want to know if you're interested. I don't even know if they'll really, you know, want to go forward with it, but I'm going to, if, if I have your permission, you can, I'll use your name. And I said, oh, yeah, by all means. And I expected, you know, maybe a month later we'd talk about it. I was on the phone with Manning that day, that afternoon, to talk about what the third edition would be and, you know, and when they could have it. So it went from this really gratifying experience to like, oh, now, we have, now I've got a lot of work in front of me. <laughs> and I'll just, just for to sort of complete the, connect the dots of the background, Joe and I had met what did we figure 2008 or something? <laughs> yeah. If I'm remembering it correctly, I was brought in to do some training at a company in New Jersey, on-site corporate training. And Joe was at the time working for a consultancy and, and was was at that company. So Joe was actually in my class, essentially, for whatever was three or four-day class. I ended up working for that same consultancy that Joe worked for when I, my sort of freelancing dried up a bit and I, I had to work for another company and, and there that opportunity was. So we've known each other for a long time and, and worked to get literally worked kind of side by side quite a bit over the years. Nice. So I, I guess the other thing is, is you kind of mentioned uh, the Ruby for Rails and then you wrote this book. How is this different from other Ruby books then? Because I mean, we've got like the pickaxe, which is sort of the canonical reference i guess for ruby for ruby we've got you know some of the other um pearson books that uh, obi fernandez is you know curated what does this cover or how does it cover it that's different from some of these other options out there for people to go to for books for ruby you know i was thinking charles that my experience with the well-grounded rubyist is a lot like yours in the beginning you know i I kind of consumed it as I was learning Ruby and Rails simultaneously. I also read the Pickaxe book. For me, it was it was really helpful as a reference, but it was difficult to really grok the language that way. But David's book, both Ruby for Rails and then the Well-Grounded Rubyist, they really grabbed me as um, you know, sort of textbooks that, that turned into field guides. You know, it was the kind of thing you could read cover to cover to learn from and then still reference back as I became more advanced and more comfortable with the language. I think that's 
one of the big things that the well-grounded Rubyist brings is this ability to mix, you know, sort of a standard textbook on a language with something that's really, you know, you could use operationally as you're as you're building and developing software. Right. In writing, again, both Ruby for Rails and then certainly the well-grounded Rubyist. First of all, the well-grounded Rubyist was sort of from the first explicitly not a complete reference. It doesn't have the whole standard library. It doesn't have every method and therefore it doesn't render obsolete any book that does have those things Mm -hmm. um, like the pickaxe or I think the O'Reilly Ruby programming language book also. But whatever, I mean, it's, it's not sort of in that, in that space though it has a lot, it does have a lot of detail in it. But, you know, I think a lot of, for me, the title really tells you a great deal. For me, the project was to write a book that gave people this grounding, you know, just to use kind of circular argument, and not not everything about the language, but I've always liked to, you know, sort of get under the skin of things and explain things. It's very gratifying to me when I look at reviews of the book and it says, you know, it's like having a teacher over your shoulder talking to you and making sense of it. I mean, that kind of thing. I have a background in education and I love teaching and I love writing. And this book seems to have hit kind of a a bit of a sweet spot in there somewhere, which isn't to say other books don't also, uh, maybe even same sweet spot, but I'd say that was a lot of my incentive or motivation in in writing it. Yep. Hey, Andrew, have you read the book? I have not, but I'm probably going to pick it up after. I I actually hadn't heard of it before, but I'm definitely going to pick this up because when I started learning Ruby and Ruby on Rails, I basically started Rails and then got into it and then realized, you know, I really don't know Ruby that well. It would be great to start learning more Ruby. So I had to kind of backtrack. And because I kind of went that route, it's difficult even to this day for me to be like, okay, is this a, is this a Ruby thing? Is this a Rails thing? I don't know wh- where, where it's coming from. Um, and one thing recently that I've been thinking about more and more, which is why I'm definitely going to have to pick up this book after this call, is I am getting pretty good with Rails, but my Ruby skills are still, I would say, beginner. Like I see a lot of people I work with use more advanced Ruby techniques to accomplish something that's way more elegant than the approach I would have taken. And it's because my foundation in Ruby is not as strong because of the way I learned. Yeah, that makes sense. It's interesting that the way that you're talking about that, because I think for the first year or so of my career in Ruby, that was more or less where I was at. And then just looking through the through the contents, table of contents in the book, because I, I mean, I, I read this book like 10 years ago or eight years ago or something like that. You know, it really does cover more the kind of the way to think about Ruby and, and the way that Ruby is structured. And what's interesting is, is that you, you get in and you start, yeah, you start figuring out the Ruby behind the rails and you're like, oh, that's why they did that that way. And then and then you really think about it and you're like, that's actually really elegant, right? They're, they're taking full advantage of what Ruby offers in order to get this done. So yeah, it's it's kind of a cool way to have your eyes open because then it's like, oh, I really am writing Ruby. It's just that they made it kind of pretty for Rails. Right. And you know, one thing I've always really liked about Rails are many things I like and love about Rails. But one thing is that 
from the very beginning, the people, David Heinemeyer Hansen and others developing Rails, made what I assume is a conscious decision to write very idiomatic Ruby. I mean, it's mm-hmm. there's a lot of magic so-called in Rails, though that term is you know sort of equivocal to me, but the way it all works is very, very idiomatic. I mean, for example, one among many, you have... Um, you know, the associations, the class method, like has one, belongs to, and so if you kind of squint and look at the screen, they look like, like Atra Accessor or so. I mean, it, you know, they're sort of cut from that same cloth in terms of style and so on. They're, and yeah, they do magic things, or what, you know, behind the scenes, there's a lot, if you look at the, the Rails source code, there's certainly a lot going on there. The Rails source code is very interesting, but Rails applications written you know, correctly and idiomatically are are basically recognizable Ruby. It's not all sort of disguised in in kind of obscure or arcane idioms that they've invented. And I think that was a very shrewd move. I mean, it's probably also tr- true that that's why they use Ruby because idiomatic Ruby attracted them. Yeah. So one thing I'm wondering about is uh, how different is the well-grounded Ruby as third edition from well-grounded Ruby as second edition? Well, it's it's substantially different, and there's a lot that's the same. Uh, you know, David did a really good job with these first couple of books and spent over a decade writing them. And so it was it was our shared goal to keep the basic structure of the book intact. And so, so there are places where I was doing just simple editing and updating for for the new edition. On the other hand, there were a couple of goals uh, that we that I set out to achieve. The first was to make the program, or sorry, the, the book a little bit more, I don't, I don't think interactive is the word, but a little bit more user-friendly or maybe uh, textbook or classroom-friendly. So by adding uh, exercises for the reader uh, and getting people to to take a look at, or to actually put, you know, put their hands on keyboards and work through an example of their own. And then, you know, tangential to that, providing all the source code, uh, which is available, you know, on GitHub that, um, that one may use. So, so a lot of the examples in the book and then a lot of the, the code for the, the exercises for the reader is all available online so that people can see, you know, one, at least one solution to these uh, to these exercises. Then the second thing was I I you know in kind of surveying the landscape what Ruby has been doing over the last several years and really in that way not not much different to what some other established languages have been doing and they've been bending toward functional programming. You know we saw this in Java eight. We see it in in Ruby as well where. Um, more and more language features have been built in to support FP. And it's never going to be a purely functional language. We know that. But that doesn't mean that writing code in a functional style still has its benefits. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Ruby has supported that more and more. And so there's um, an additional chapter in part three, which is Ruby Dynamics, that goes in-depth into how one would approach functional programming with Ruby. And that includes some of the stuff, some of the libraries or, sorry, the methods or functions that are covered in earlier chapters and some that are brand new and certainly covers core concepts uh, that you would need for a basic foundation in functional programming. 
Makes sense. So I'm curious, how important is it if you are about to start a job in Rails to, should you always learn Ruby first? Is that what you guys are under the impression of? You know, it's funny because I, I heard <laughs> both of you with uh, your stories and mine is similar. I found myself in the first couple of years of writing Ruby uh, and writing Rails. I started with Rails. I would jump from a Ruby book and then the next book I would read is Rails and then Ruby and then Rails mm-hmm. because I would always get to a point where I said, oh, oh my God, I, I've learned this much and I just, there's something huge that I don't understand about Rails. And then I'd go and learn it and then I'd say, wait, there's some huge gap in my understanding of Ruby. And so that's sort of the approach I took. I can't tell you which, which to do first. Probably it depends on where where your background is. If you've already whipped together, you know, half a dozen or a dozen web applications in some other framework, then maybe it's easy to to take a look at Rails and sort of understand and then VC how these things are put together and then work your way back to Ruby. On the other hand, if you're just starting out and you're a newer engineer, I think it would hold you in good stead to learn the fundamentals of Ruby programming. Uh, before jumping into web application development. And now I'll let David give his opinion because I know it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's um, my basic answer is yes, you should learn Ruby first. But but first, you know, it doesn't literally mean you should go off for six weeks and only study Ruby before you create your Rails. And in practical terms, that's not going to happen if you're hired somewhere and they have, you know, a, an app in existence or whatever. I think it's it's not so much the timing as the approach and the attitude. I mean, if you have the attitude, I'm going to use Ruby to solve problems that I come up against in Rails, you know, that's my toolkit, essentially, then you'll want to learn it. I mean, you know, I think once that sort of falls into place, as I've often said, if you claim to be a Rails developer, you are claiming to be a Ruby developer, so you might as well learn Ruby, right? That's kind of what it comes down to. And like I said, I think it's it's as much just that attitude and that openness. I mean, Rails, well, frameworks probably in general, or in many cases, are kind of, in, in this sense, kind of a two-edged sort. I mean, it obviously, you know, economizes incredibly on code that you have to write because there's all this framework stuff there. But you also have to be willing to to go beyond that or beneath it or something. You know, it's not gonna you're not gonna be able to solve every problem unless you delve into the language. I think Rails also, I don't know, I I was always a little bit skeptical about the the sort of what was it, Joe, the the, the ten minute blog or something or or uh, oh, that was- David Hennemeyer Hansen's... Uh, yeah, I mean, it was fair. I remember when this was started. It was was and is very, very impressive. But I also know, because I talked to many people over the years, that Rails got a reputation of being kind of turnkey. And that's sort of a half-truth. I mean, you you know, and the, the extent to which it isn't turnkey requires that you understand a number of things, including, you know, how the web works and so on. But in, also including Ruby. I mean, otherwise you're you're sort of doing Rails under a glass ceiling, where you keep wanting the applications to be more more elegant and more powerful and so on. But uh, but you don't necessarily have the toolkit. And yeah, I mean, I find what, when I'm uh, working on Rails applications professionally, and there are more or less you know junior people on the team who are 
new to Ruby and Rails, definitely I spend more time and I'm called upon more to help them with Ruby or when I review their code, what I'm really finding is, you know, Ruby idioms that they're unaware of or that, that, that it would be good for them to learn. I mean, sometimes it's a matter of Rails too, but I think just in the nature of it, Rails, Rails is kind of designed to be, you know, not, not easy, but straightforward or something along those lines. I mean, Ruby is too, actually, but, <laughs> but it's kind yeah. of a different, different dimension. Yeah, I was just going to say, and you guys have said it, I'm just going to say it in not so many words. I think most people come in learning Rails first, and I did. I think a lot of people do. The thing is, is that at a certain point, you get to the point where the next biggest leap that you can take in your capabilities with Rails is to learn Ruby. And yeah, so, I think... I, yeah, think I, I, I got to the point after a year or two to where I felt like I really understood the framework and then I learned Ruby and I realized that I really had a lot more to learn about what I could do with it. Yeah, what David said about there's a class if you don't expand on your Ruby knowledge, I think that's very that's very key. And that's exactly a summation of how I've been feeling recently because I'm like, I know how to do this. Like I can get it done, but I want my application to be more powerful. I want my code to be more elegant. And the thing that's holding me back there is a weaker understanding of actual Ruby. Well, we're going to get you a book, Andrew. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I know that's a book right. you should read. That's <laughs> right. Yes, yeah, still in yeah. time to for stocking stuffers for Christmas. That's right. Everyone you know needs this book. You know, one thing I'll mention because I, I it's almost literally stumbled on the pickaxe, but I mean, I, in, I think it was the week the pickaxe book came out, which was early November of 2000. I was in a bookstore and I saw it. I'd been using Perl a lot. Um, I was actually in a different career at the time, but I was using Perl a lot. I was teaching and I wrote all my own grading software and everything and syllabus markup language and whatever. All the, most of the tool chain was in Perl. But I saw this book that said, programming Ruby. And I think I might have heard of the existence of Ruby uh, on the Perl mailing list. Well, I didn't really remember whether I had or not, but I took the book off the shelf and just fell in love with Ruby on the way to the cashier. I mean, literally, I just, you know, opened the book to some, it was like, oh my, this is it. This is what, the moral of the story being, I was using Ruby a lot a great deal and very, very heavily involved in the Ruby community and organizing conferences and writing chapters of books and so on. Basically for almost four years before Rails came out. So that also positioned me to write Ruby for Rails because I understood the relationship between the two. And in fact, this is just sort of a footnote to the the book history from before, but Manning contacted me in 2005 and said, we've heard that there's buzz about this thing called Ruby and Ruby on Rails, and we're wondering whether we should start, you know, maybe publish a book about it, and if so, who should do it? And your name has been given to us as someone who might have contacts or recommendations or whatever. And I said, yes, you should publish a book, and it should be written by me. <laughs> so that, <laughs> that, that fell into play. And I had the idea for Ruby for Rails already. And three weeks later, I had a book contract. But again, you know, being there before Rails and then when Rails came in, that's, I think, one of the reasons I'm 
so um, you know ardent about about yes, just learn you know learn Ruby again. I'm not saying it has to be chronologically before you ever touch Rails, but just remember that you are a Ruby developer if you're working on Rails applications, and there's really no case to be made for not learning your tool set if you're if that's what's in it. So how far down that road then does the well-grounded Rubyist get you? It grounds you very well. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I think the book hits kind of a sweet spot, and I base that on reviews and reactions over the years that somehow it kind of set out to balance, as like we were saying before, a considerable amount of information about the language in considerable detail with also a kind of tutorial tone and an explanatory tone. So I don't know, it's probably sort of measurable terms, not really an answer to the question, but I I think it takes you pretty far. I mean, from from what people have have said to me over the years, I think it, you know, typically people... I don't think I've ever heard anyone say, you know, this is the only resource you'll ever need about Ruby or object oriented or whatever. I mean, there's, you know, there's a, a whole lot of books there and many of them very successful and very popular. And, you know, it's these sort of which books should I read next discussions. I mean, the well-grounded Rubyist often comes up early in those discussions, followed by other books like Sandy Metz's book on, on object oriented design and, and so on and so forth. Yeah, she also just released a new edition of that a few months ago. Yes, yes. Yeah, I was going to ask that question next is, do you feel like there are books that are a natural prequel or sequel to The Well-Grounded Rubyist? Well, I I do love Practical Object-Oriented Design with Ruby. I think that's probably a sequel. And I, I sort of agree with David in that um, a lot of books are are sequels. And that's... That's just because of where this book starts. It starts at the very beginning. It starts with the installation, you know, with the command line, uh, you know, with adding one plus one. But it really does take you really far. I mean, I read a year into writing Ruby, I read part three of the book, you know, chapters 13 through 15 at the time about metaprogramming, about procs and lambdas. But it wasn't really accessible to me just yet. I mean, I was really still a novice. And so it's worthwhile reading. It's something that can ground you. Um, I'll just keep beating that to death. But yeah, it's something that can ground you. And then, and then yeah, you should expand yourself and go out and read other books. You know, the Obi Fernandez books, the Sandy Metz books. And then probably you should come back to it. It's interesting, you know, I had been writing Ruby for 10 years when I was called on to to edit this book. And Ruby is, was and still is my favorite language. You know, looking again at chapter 14 yesterday as I was kind of preparing for talking about this book, you know, I, I both learned so much and sort of fell in love again with Ruby just reading about you know, lambdas, procs, stabby lambdas, you know, the way to capture methods as objects. Um, and that's just because it's something that, you know, it feels so good to understand that that's available to me. And yet, you know, it's not something, it may not be something that you use every day. And if you don't, then then it can, um, you know, it can atrophy a bit, that, that sort of part of your learning, you know. And so I think that's, uh, I think that's a, a case to, re- you know, read it early and read it often, um, as I have. 
So I guess the other question that I have is what is your approach to reading books? So let's say that you, you know, you're like, okay, well, I'm going to go pick up some books. A lot of people learn off of like YouTube or they'll read some blog posts or things like that. Books are a little bit different. They're longer form. They're usually organized in a specific way. So how do you expect people to read this book? Do you just expect them to pick it up, start at the front and read to the back? Or are there exercises that they should follow or things that they should do to try out some of the ideas in it? I think it it lends itself to being read start to finish, especially if you know, you're very new to Ruby. I think it, it presupposes that you're not absolutely new to programming. But I also think or would speculate that you can kind of dip in and out of it. Again, it's not a full reference book, but it's hopefully the, the subject matter is divided up in such a way that you could, you know, go back and study scalar objects or whatever. As for exercise, Joe, if you want to talk about exercises, because you contributed most or all of them. So. Yeah. I hesitate to say that this this is what everybody should do. I mean, David and I read a lot of books. And so when I was, you know, practicing Ruby, I, I always had a book that I was, you know, reading, uh, you know, on the, on the commute or, or at home. Uh, the Well-Rounded Ruby, this was certainly one of those. Um, at that point, there was the Rails way, you know, like I started in version two and then there was version three. And Agile Web Development with Rails, I think, is a great example of a, of a workbook. You know, you, you're building a shopping cart app. I, I just looked. I don't know if yeah. that's... Agile Web Development with Rails was uh, Dave Thomas. I don't know if that's been updated in, in a long time. But I think Sam Ruby was the one that uh, most recently updated that one. There's oh, also Ruby on Rails tutorial by Michael Hartle. Yeah, there, there are a bunch of them out there that, that are really, yeah, more designed toward, hey, we're going to walk you through this entire process. Yeah, and I I liked that. I um, That really gave me a firm understanding. It also lets you, if it gives you one way to do something, then it also helped me to improvise, right? So I was building a shopping cart app. Essentially, you're building a... In Agile Web Development Rails, you're basically building a simple version of the pragmatic bookstore or the pragmatic bookshelf, you know, which is a, a kind of a cute mm-hmm. thing to work on and also has lots of opportunities for, for deeper insight into Rails. And that that in turn allowed me to say, okay, what am I doing, um, you know, with Rails? And is there anything similar to that? Or, or it gave me some ideas to say, oh, okay, well, if I can make this, this bookshelf, then I can also do something else with it that's similar. You know, I think that um, we try to bring some of that into the well-grounded Rubyist for a similar reason. You know, with for me, my goal was not to give an overarching application to work on throughout the book. I, you know, the book doesn't really lend itself to that. It's um, organized differently, and I, I like the way it's organized. But nonetheless... There is a lot of text. There are a lot of examples. You're encouraged to to work through each example, but that doesn't quite match the feeling of just kind of giving you a problem to work on and letting you struggle through it on your own a little bit to try to find the answer. And so that's that's something that we try to bring in to make you know to make the content a little bit more sticky and to and to ensure that you are on the right track. And you know, Joe, there's something you said earlier about when you're talking about procs and lambdas and you may not you said something like you may not use these things every day but it's you know 
sort of connecting that up with the point you're making here, one thing about the the, the well grounding philosophy, if you want to call it that, that's different from the tutorial philosophy. Even though, as I said, I I, I like it when people say they find it kind of teacherly um, and so forth. But yeah, it's not in that sense. It's right. It's not a tutorial where you sort of build build an app or whatever. But one thing about you know the you may not use it every day thing. There is some of that I think in the philosophy of providing people with the with the firm grounding. I mean, for example, you're not going to write you know def some object dot some method very often, except maybe for class methods, right? That, but if you mm-hmm. don't know that you can do that, then you don't understand the entire class design of Ruby. I mean, you have to know that you can do that. You have Your fingers have to have done it ideally, but you certainly have to know that this is how method lookup works. This is how method definition works. Ryan Davis once said to me something like, God, you're really obsessed with singleton methods, aren't you? <laughs> and yeah, I mean, I, I, I'd like to think I'm not quite obsessed, but there's certain kind of, to me, certain kind of golden keys into understanding uh, Ruby, and I've seen so many kind of aha moments in person or reported back to me from readers of the book or whatever that you know you you need to know these things, even if they're not all the techniques you're going to use every day. You need to know them because you build on that, and the book will build you. I mean, you know, the book hopefully doesn't leave you dangling without building on on that too, and giving you a sense of, you know, aha, this, you know, I can write a method on a separate object because the method lookup process involves a singleton class and here's how that fits in and so on. So one thing just leads to another in that sense. And a lot of, you know, going back to just sort of the the book writing and, and structure itself, a lot of it is kind of following some of those threads. And so it is, and again, this also goes back to it that it doesn't have everything about Ruby, but the things that are in it are chosen to give you the best return on, you know, on study invested. That that you really do, you know, if you if you master everything in the book um, and can follow what you know the the examples in the discussion, there's not that much in the language that you don't know or can't put in place pretty readily. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of standard library stuff and so on, but uh, but that that sort of falls into place. Nice. So, uh, when do you anticipate writing a fourth edition? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I'm yet allowed to discuss that with my wife. <laughs> yeah, somebody came to me recently, a good friend of mine, and uh, you know, he's got an idea for a book, and it's a good one, and I I, I respect him as a as a teacher. And he wanted some advice, and I, so I. The first thing I said is, "Well, the first thing you have to, we have to figure out is how you're going to tell your wife, um, you know, or your your partner, because um, you know it really is it's more work than I thought it would be." My expectation is that when Ruby three comes out, it will it'll render some of the stuff that's in the book right now obsolete, and we'll beg a new edition, and that's allegedly you know, less than a year. Well, I guess about a year and some months away. So we'll see. We did lean in that direction. You know, it's, it's funny because we're in this state where we're promised big things in Ruby three and we're getting little hints of them, but we're not quite there. And so, yeah, 
the book as it stands today still needs to discuss frozen string literals, uh, even though most people aren't using them. And I, you know, I think most Rubyists are aware of them, but not using certainly not using them as a necessity. But they're coming, and it's going to be a huge change that impacts everything. And so we need to at least mention them. We have to at least talk about what they are, why they're important, you know, why string immutability, you know, exists in all of these other languages and hasn't in Ruby for so long. And so, yeah, and that said, I think Ruby 3 will will bring about a, another edition. Maybe we'll call it something different, David. Yeah, right. Well, <laughs> among other things, um, it will also, of course, have a kind of the same effect on a lot of other books. I mean, of course, this, this is yeah. the, the balancing act of writing these books that that things change almost out from under you. But, you know, I think the, it'll, yeah, we'll see. It'll be interesting down the road. And I will just say that to Joe's wife's credit, she still talks to me. <laughs> just <something. laughs> Diana likes David very much, which is, yeah. you know, that's a point in, you know, version four or edition four. <laughs> Yeah, when I wrote my book, I, I go up to my office and work all day anyway, and so I just took time to do that. So my wife was just like, "Oh, you finished the book." <laughs> but if you have a, if you have another full time job, it's a different story, I'm sure. I ran Deaf Method, you know, Monday through Friday, and then uh, I would spend all of Saturday, you know, the evenings and Saturday with my daughter, and then Sunday I would get up. And uh, as early as I possibly could, I would run to my office. I would work straight through, you know, from whenever I got there at 7 a.m. or 8 a.m. straight through nap time. And that would get me like a full full day's work. Um, so that and whatever I could squeeze in on the weekdays was how I was how I attacked yeah. this book, which was not, you know, ran counter to the advice from every other author whose advice I sought. But uh, but it's just the way I had to do it. it yeah, it makes sense. Contact. Yeah. Very cool. Well, I, I guess at the end, we, we've kind of, we, we've talked a lot about the book and how it's structured and what's in it, how to approach it. Do you want to just kind of end with a two minute elevator pitch for the book? Just kind of a, hey, here's what it is and here's what you get out of it. I'm waiting to see which of us unmutes first. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Unmute chicken. I've never, I've yeah, never encountered right. that before. Chicken, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I just feel like you've, you've had a lot more experience doing this, David, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> give, it a, give it a whirl. Yeah, sure. No, I mean, I, I think some of what we've said could be, you know, end of document bullet list. Um, yeah, again, a lot of people are obviously using Ruby in the context of Rails. I think it's really important to to understand Ruby. I also think that the book has a very good track record of reaction um in previous editions and this edition and like i said i'm i'm particularly pleased that people pick up on the fact that a lot of care has gone into explanations there's very little just okay do this do this it's it's very much because this is how you know i think the best way to really learn something is to to have it explained and i you know as a teacher um and a writer i get a lot of satisfaction out of explaining things and and feeling like people you know people benefit from that so yeah that's a kind of 45 second not really great elevator pitch but there it is <laughs> it's a quick elevator i guess yeah. there are very few books 
that I've read over, you know, a career of reading technical books where I've thought, you know, and still do think, you know, reading this book just by virtue of reading it and following along with the examples, it will make you a better programmer. You know, very few books have given me an appreciation for the language that the well-grounded Rubyist has. And I'm kind of in this unique position because I am I am both satisfied customer and purveyor of, of the information. You know, I use this as a springboard into a career of very satisfying software development. And uh, it's it's really been my privilege to give back in this small way by by being able to edit and extend it for a new audience. Awesome. Hey, folks, I want to tell you about a great system that I just found that has made my life a ton easier. That's Cloud 66. A lot of folks think that deploying is a pain. I kind of grew up as an ops guy, and so I never really felt that way until I tried Cloud 66 and realized that the way that I was doing it with Capistrano, pushing stuff up to DigitalOcean, it really was kind of a pain. And when things didn't work, I had to go in and I had to bang my head against the wall to figure it out. Plus, all the setup stuff was just a big headache. And what I found with Cloud 66 is that it's a really nice way just to get everything set up. I just told it I had a Rails app and off it went. It set it all up, it does the deployment, and now that I have other developers working with me on PodWrench, which is what I'm using it for here, all I have to do is give them access and then they can go push the button for me and it gets deployed. It's really nice, it's straightforward, it has all of my environment variables in it, so I didn't have to do any setup that way either. I just had to go in, put in my AWS credentials and a few other things that I was using for third-party apps, and it set it up and ran it. So if you're looking for a great solution for deployments, use the promo code RubyRogues. That's all one word, capital R, capital R, RubyRogues, for $66 off Cloud66. This only works for new users, but man, it is awesome. So go check them out, cloud66.com. All right, well, let's go ahead and do some picks. Andrew, do you have some picks? Do you have some things you want to shout out about? I do. So I use Arbenv, and I know a lot of people use RVM or ASDF, but I got put on Arbenv early on and haven't changed. And I recently came across, it's called Arbenv Default Gemset. I just had it pulled up, and then I lost it again. But basically, every time you install a new Ruby version, it's includes a it installs a list of gems that you specify for each version. So I have a group of gems that I use for my editor. I have like things like Rubocop that I always install. So this has helped save me some time. But every time I install a new Ruby version, it installs all the gems I need. And then I don't have to start wondering like why isn't this thing working? It was working in the last version and then having to realize that I am missing a gem. So yeah, that's my pick. Nice. Um, I'll go next. Uh, I've been reading a book called Good to Great by Jim Collins. It's kind of a classic business book. And basically the premise of the book is they did these studies and they looked at uh, companies that did really well over a 15-year span and then found companies to compare them to over a different 15-year span. It talks a lot about how these companies were good companies when they started and great companies at the end of the 15 years. And you know, they, they talk about their metrics and how they measure, you know, things and, and, and stuff like that. But anyway, it's it's really made me think. And I've been reading it as part of this challenge that I'm doing called 75 Hard. And I've talked about that on this show before, so I'm not going to go into that. But one of the things is to read 10 minutes or 10 pages of a book every day. Yeah, I mean, I'm just kind of having my mind blown by this one. 
just figuring out, okay, you know, what are we measuring devchat.tv by? What matters? What doesn't? What do we cut? What do we keep? And yeah, it's it's really helped me get focused on some things. The thing that's tripping me up right now as far as following what what's in there is that in about a month, I'm going to podcast movement and I sponsored the conference just as a, you know, kind of a low end sponsor so that I could get a booth so I could talk to people about the tool that we're building to run our podcasts. And I realized that that's kind of a distraction from what our number one thing should be. And so I'm going to the conference and I'm going to sit in the booth, talk to people, but I'm not as focused on getting the development done for it as I am on just making sure that everything else is solid for the podcasts. And so it's been kind of an interesting thing to figure out, okay, you know, do I just kind of take my lumps and say, you know what, I kind of started doing the wrong thing or not the wrong thing, but the, the right thing at the wrong time is probably a more accurate way to put it. And yeah, just kind of thinking through that. So if you're running a business, good to great by Jim Collins. David, do you have some picks for us? Yeah, I will mention that the second edition of The Pragmatic Programmer is coming out soon. I'm not sure exactly where it stands. I got a, a beta PDF copy or whatever um, and wrote a, a little uh, blurb or endorsement or whatever. But it, that's an exciting development because that book was and has been for 20 years so important this is sort of the 20th anniversary um, edition. It's, it's the second edition, and uh, and if, even if you just read the beginning about you know the introduction about how they how Dave and Andy have gone about updating it and what you know their decisions about what to keep and what to to change and what to introduce, it's very interesting. But yeah, I mean that that I think should be on people's radars if they're interested in that in in programming, basically. Nice. I'm looking forward to that. I'm curious what, what's changed. We'll have to get them on and talk to them about that, that book because that book was a huge influence on me early on in my career. Joe, what are your picks? I had one. I've, I've got two now. <laughs> so the book talk has got me got me excited. I also like Jim Collins. I think Good to Great it was a fantastic read. I recently read Barbarians at the Gate, which is an old book about... Uh, the takeover of RJR Nabisco. And it's uh, really one of the most entertaining books of reporting business that I've, uh, that I've ever read. I mean, really found by the end of it, and it's a, it's a long book, found by the end of it that it was, um, it was a page turner in the way that some of the best novels are page turners. Uh, so I highly recommend it. And you can learn something from it. I highly recommend it. I'm also going to give a shout out to firehydrant.io which is, um, it's kind of full-featured incident response management and uh, deployment management. What I love about it is just how it, um, it hooks into a lot of your, your modern tools today. So into Slack and to um, any of the other tools you're using to discuss deployments, incident management, etc. And also because it has um, built-in support for post-mortem reporting which, uh, you know, I've just been kind of a, a stickler about this throughout my career that when an incident happens, there needs to be a postmortem and that postmortem needs to follow, you know, a certain structure so that everybody gets the right information so the same mistakes don't get repeated, you know, and so FireHydrant actually integrates really well with, uh, with doing just that and getting information out to everybody who needs it. Nice. Can you put the URL to that one in the chat so that we can make sure it shows up in the show notes? 
Yep, will do. Awesome. Well, if people want to find you guys online, where do they go? Twitter, GitHub? Yeah, Twitter. I have a blog, but it's sadly neglected. Um, but there's davidablack.net, my sadly neglected website. And you can reach me through there, definitely through Twitter, David underscore A underscore Black. Nice. Yeah, the best way to find out about me and what I'm doing is is probably through Twitter at jleo3, or frankly through Death Method because everything I'm doing professionally is is through the company. So we're on Twitter at Death Method right. Inc. You can find us at deathmethod.com. Nice. All right. Well, let's go ahead and wrap this one up. Uh, thanks, you guys, for coming. I'm definitely going to go back and thumb through the book again. But uh, great. Yeah, this was a fun discussion. Yeah. Well, thanks for having us. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Charles. Thanks, Andrew. Great chatting with you. Thanks, y'all. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C A C H E F L Y dot com to learn more. <laughs>